So, Steve, you and I are literally in the middle of some major generational changes in the country. That's right. The millennial generation recently became the largest population cohort, surpassing the baby boomers, while the baby boomers make up the largest seniors population cohort in history. These two broad demographic changes are bound to have some profound implications for the housing market and the economy overall. Especially given delayed household formation among millennials compared to prior generations and the dramatic increase in the coming years of the senior population. It does make me wonder, where does that leave the two of us Gen Xers? Uh, I don't know. Uh, doing this podcast as the world passes us by? Hello and welcome to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. I'm Corey Aber. And I'm Steve Guggenmoss. Today on the show, we're going to look at some of the major demographic changes and what they mean for housing and the economy. We're joined by Jung Choi, research associate at the Urban Institute. She has written extensively on these demographic changes and their implications. Jung, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. So the, the big uh, demographic change happening right now is pretty fascinating. And so before we get into the details, can we just put some you know, high-level numbers to this change? Okay, so there are some differences in how you define millennials, but in our report, we define millennials as those born between 1981 and 1997. And right now, those population, the total number is a little above 75 million. And this number is slightly higher than the baby boomers who are born between 1946 and 64. And this population is slightly below 75 million. Sounds good. And uh, we hear so much about how influential these uh, demographic cohorts are. Um, and certainly these days, the millennials uh, are, are acting differently than previous generations. Um, and I know that you found some of that in your research. Can you tell us about some of those differences? So um, millennials, we have been looking a lot at how millennials um, own a home or like millennials form housing. And we found that uh, millennial homeownership rate has declined significantly compared to prior generations. We specifically look at millennials who are ages between 25 and 34 because that's the period where most millennials have completed their education. And we find that the homeownership rate of those young adults are about 7 to 8 percentage point lower than um, when Generation X or baby boomers were in those age buckets. And that leads to about um, 1.3 million less uh, young adult homeowners in the current mar market. So why, why is that homeownership rate so much lower? Uh, so... One of the reasons, there are multiple reasons behind this phenomenon in our report. We looked at um, two major changes. First, we first look at whether millennials are really different from the prior generation in terms of preferences or in terms of their um, socioeconomic or demographic um, status. And next, we look at whether they have more barriers in accessing the home ownership market. So I'll start with a question which asks whether millennials are really different from the prior generations because a lot of media outlets have been talking about millennials. They don't really want to own anymore. They're really different in terms of how, how they choose uh, to live. And right 
now a lot of research out there, including ours, actually find that millennials' um, desire to own a home has not changed that much compared to the prior generations. Especially as the economy recovered, most millennials do want to become homeowners some stage in their lives. But what we found in the report is that millennials are different in where they prefer to live. So many millennials are now choosing to live in an urban core area downtown where there is more amenities. And many millennials want to live in cities with where the house price is expensive, like San Francisco, New York. This is not because that they really want to move into an expensive area and delay homeownership. This is the some of the cities uh, that have more job opportunities. So they are kind of like choosing to go to where the jobs are. And those cities have happened to experience a greater increase in the house prices over time due to limited supply. So is there a little bit of a choice going on, either uh, job of your dreams or home of your dreams? I guess that's the case, but then it's like, it's not like they don't really want to kind of go and pursue the home of your dream. It's just that where the jobs are, it's it's getting more and more difficult to actually achieve the home ownership dream in those locations. Right. And we often hear that how they go about doing something like that is they either you know, group together or live with their parents or family members and things like that. Um, have you found that to be the case? Yes. Uh, so uh, we also have a report that looks at whether millennials are choosing to live with their parents more than their prior generation. And we actually found that this increase has been greater than the decline in the homeownership rate. So if you compare the share of young adults living with their parents, the rate has increased from 12% in 2000 to 22% in 2017. This is adding about 5.1 million more young adults living under the parents' roof between these two years. So it sounds like that population that's uh, living with uh, with parents is coming out of the potential renter population more than coming out of the potential homeowner population at this stage? Well, it's kind of like the homeownership, the way you calculate it is like among the household who are owners. So people who actually choose to live with their parents, they're not even in the homeownership calculation because they have not formed an independent household. So it's kind of like there are a lot of the millennials, I think, are um, choosing to live with their parents because it's also the rent has become more unaffordable over time. And among the people who actually moved out of the parents' home, they are also delaying to move into the homeownership market and staying, choosing to stay as renters. Right. And I think as we look at things, uh, you know, those pent-up households or those households that are, you know, grouped together, uh, most likely when they first form a household will likely rent as most households start by renting and then move on to homeownership. Um, I know that you've also done some work where you look at um, the likelihood of moving on to homeownership uh, for those households mm. that lived with their parents mm. or, or those folks that live with their parents. Yes, I have looked at that. And I mean, there's a question of, OK, is this trend going to persist over time? And this, I think, still a question that remains more research and we still need more data to see if millennials are going to like catch up with the prior generation or gonna have lower home ownership rate persistently over time. But 
we do see that using our panel data that if you lived with your parents between age 25 and 34, if you follow that population 10 years after, those populations are significantly less likely to own or form independent households than those who moved earlier, moved out of their parents' home earlier in their lives. And this is suggesting that they're not really like saving um saving up for a down payment when they live with their parents. It's just like delaying the home ownership rate overall. So I would like to understand a little bit the uh, consequence of mm-hmm. that delayed home ownership because mm-hmm. uh, you could just say, well, uh, good for mm-hmm. renting, and mm-hmm. uh, that's a choice that, that uh, people today are making. Uh, but is, is it more than that? Yes, because uh, we uh, found that in our research, that uh, the people who buy their home at earlier age have significantly greater housing wealth near retirement. And I think this could be a greater problem for millennials because we also know that the income volatility in this country has increased over time and the jobs have become more unstable. So um, the home equity, the housing wealth, could be one of the great resources that seniors can use uh, when something happens in their lives. So we've just talked about some pretty broad trends of mm-hmm. you know millennials or writ large, uh, but I'd like to understand like can we break that down a little bit you know across different demographic groups or socio socioeconomic uh, groups? Yes. So. Uh, One of the things that we have observed persistently in this country is the racial and ethnic homeownership gap. And right now, the gap between blacks and whites and also um, white and Latinx population, the homeownership gap right now currently is larger than what it was in uh, the time where the Fair Housing Act was passed, which was year 1968. So this is becoming a huge issue. And the homeownership rate, uh, what is interesting is that it's sort of like transfers from parent to children. So if you are a child of a homeowner parent, you're much more likely to own, controlling for everything else. So that means that there's kind of like intergenerational transfers in homeownership rates. So if we don't do anything about it, this could actually widen the wealth gap between whites and the minorities. That's interesting and and such an important topic. And uh, you mentioned also then as people, you know, the intergenerational, and we talked about the baby boomers earlier, you know, maybe we can shift over to the uh, 55 plus population and some of the things that you found there. Okay, the share of seniors aged 55 plus have uh, increased from 21 percent in 2000 to 29 percent in 2017, and according to the census projection, um, there will be about one third of senior population by 2040. This is translating to about 29 million more seniors in 2040 compared to the number of seniors now. That's a really substantial change. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, curious, then, how does that affect the types of uh, households and, and the types of housing needed uh, to support such a growing population? I think that's a great question. And I don't really have, like definite answer for that. But then we did use the data of like the current housing status and the projection of senior population by different race and ethnic groups. And what we found is that if the current trend 
persist will have a significantly more renters in the housing market and also significantly greater number of seniors living with their children. So it's not children living with their parents, but then parents living with the children and children as the household head. And also there will be a significant increase in senior population age 75 who live alone. So uh, let me give you some numbers. The number of renters um, is expected to increase from um, 20 million right now to um, 29 million in 2040. And that's about 45% increase. And the number of seniors who live in nursing homes right now is about 1.6 million. That will increase to about 2.8 million in 2040. And that's about 66% increase. And the number of um, seniors living with their children, that's kind of higher for the minority population, especially for Hispanics and Asians. And, you know, as we know, that share of the population will grow over time. And we expect the um, share of seniors living with their parents will increase almost 100%. So it's like 96% from 4.8 million right now to about 9.5 million in 2040. And finally, um, we look at seniors age 75 who live alone. Right now, there's about 8 million seniors age 75 above who live alone. That will double by 2040, reaching 16 billion. And as those are just really big growth in some of those categories, Mm -hmm. and and renters is one that we take note of. Is that largely um, continuing trends of the past, or that's incorporating some of the changes that you've found? So this is largely, so this um, number, I think, is likely to be underestimated because we are not really, like, we didn't really factor into um, some of the changes uh, that is happening among the younger generations. So this is, like, if the homeownership rate of seniors continues, then this is what's going to happen. But the homeownership rate by race and ethnicity continues. So, you know, like still like although senior homeownership is high, there are some racial disparities across those um, age, across seniors. And we see that the blacks and Hispanic seniors have lower homeownership rate. So but then if we hold that homeownership rate for the seniors and then we just change the racial composition, that's the number that we'll see in 2040, about 30 million. But if the current train persists and millennials kind of delay, not only delay homeownership rate, but then the actual senior homeownership rate, if that falls, then we'll probably see a greater increase in renters. I think you see stories in, in the press, too, about you know, so the attractiveness of uh, selling the home in the suburbs mm-hmm. and moving into the, the apartment in the city to take advantage of those uh, amenities as well. Do you, do you factor that into the estimates? Uh, this is really a simple calculation, so we didn't really factor that in. But then I think that this will be a like important trend to look into in the future research. And I think just to reiterate, I mean, your your numbers are nine million increase in a, which um, you know, with one hundred and thirty million households in the United States, those are mm-hmm. very big numbers, which certainly affect the home ownership rate and would put a lot of pressure on. Uh, a lower home ownership rate and uh, a higher rentership rate. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like because seniors, we also see that for um, senior homeowners, like as they age, because they're normally like the mortgage payment decreases with age and a lot of seniors kind of paid off their mortgage. And then that then it's, it's 
it's not okay, but then it's kind of livable without like making much income after retirement. But for a senior renter, like you, you don't have enough income to kind of like pay that month um, rent over time. So the rent doesn't really decrease as much as like the home ownership cost. So that could also be like a huge financial burden for a lot of seniors. So maybe turning back to millennials a little bit, you you had uh, um, talked about um, barriers to them becoming homeowners and some of the effects. I know that um, uh, mortgage or uh, student loan debt is something that we uh, talk about a lot. Um, do you do you get uh, do you have a feeling that that is a factor that's driving some of these changes? Yes, definitely. So we also looked at some of the external barriers that sort of like deter millennials from becoming a homeowners. And one of them definitely is student debt. So average student debt of young adults between age 25 and 34 has increased to slightly over 4,000 in 2001 to now it's about 17,000. So it more than tripled over the past 15 years. And this is imposing huge um burden for millennials. It's not only increasing the DTI ratio. Um, some of the reports find that the millennials who default on student debt has increased over time. So this means that this is affecting their credit and that is actually making it more difficult for millennials to access homeownership. Is the student debt, um, does that affect younger millennials more than older millennials just as the as tuition prices have risen or does financial aid I think that's that's true. I think there's a lot of things to look into in terms of how student debt is affecting homeownership rate. In our um, report, we do find that that has an uh, impact for, and it does lower millennial home ownership. But then also, I mean, we need to do more research on how that is different across race and ethnicity. And some reports do find that blacks and Hispanics, blacks especially, have significantly higher student debt than other race groups, and they are significantly more likely to default on their student debt. And those, there's many unanswered questions that we can kind of explore in terms of how student debt is affecting homeownership. And I think that sometimes discussions that we have are around people that have some student debt, but then didn't end up graduating, and mm, those are certainly yeah, 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 in the worst yeah, yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those that... Education is still just a, a great way to um, uh, contribute to your human capital, which then you would hope that over time those millennials that have invested in education, gotten degrees, that they would have more earning potential and that they would de- that would help them in these future outcomes. Uh, so we just talked about student debt and that being a barrier. Um, I imagine there, there are some more barriers than just student debt. Yes, uh, there are a couple of more barriers that millennials are facing um, compared to the prior generations. So first, like a lot of millennials, they first entered the job market after the crisis. So the unemployment rate is really high. So for a lot of millennials, it was more difficult to find a job. Now the economic situation is better. But then when they first started, it was bad. And then that sort of like delayed the opportunity to save more for down payment. And the second thing is, is, um, I think there's a lot of talk about the housing supply crisis that the country is facing right now. And 
as I mentioned, especially the places where millennials prefer to live and there's more job opportunities, those places have become significantly more expensive. So especially if the housing supply is limited, uh, we see that the house price increases more for the lower tier homes. So that means the more affordable homes that millennials can access to, those are actually appreciating more. And at the same time, the rent is increasing more. So now, even if you kind of like own significant amount of income, it's really difficult to save for down payments because a lot of that income is going to your rent. And finally, um, we want to mention that the credit has tightened since the crisis. So the median um, credit score at mortgage origination uh, right now is about, it's between 730 and 740, which is about 40 points higher than what it was in 2000. And that's, we think that's the period of reasonable lending standards. And with this increase in median FICO score with a tight credit, it means that a lot of young adults who on average have lower credit scores, it's more difficult for them to access the homeownership because of the tight tightening of the market. Uh, so Jung, you mentioned that the credit scores uh, on average are going up um, in recent originations relative to pre-recession. That's interesting. And I sometimes I wonder if are people that qualify not applying for mortgages um, and if that's related to um, you know, post-recession mm-hmm. being you know mm-hmm. burned by the housing market or other mm-hmm. factors like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a co- good question, and it's worth exploring, especially like for young adults, because I did say that they delay homeownership, so a lot of people might kind of feel that they're not ready for homeownership rate, and those people will probably have a lower credit score, so that could co- also cause the credits median credit scores to go down. So I think there's like more elements to tease out from that. But then we are seeing that the median credit score, if we just see that number, that has gone up over the past mm-hmm. few decades. And you also have looked at things that can help the homeownership rate go up, right? Things like fintech and uh, other factors that will help people get into um, make that decision to potentially buy. Can mm-hmm. you tell us about some of that research? Yes. Um, we are actually kind of like we do want to like not only provide numbers, but actually provide solutions and also like collaborate with a lot of different organizations to actually reach out to those potential home buyers and increase homeownership rates. So we actually collaborated with Freddie last year and this year, and they give us a lot, a really good number of like where are the mortgage ready millennials living in and how many of them are actually right now um, in the U.S. So how they calculate it is they kind of use the FICO score, the DTIs, and also the delinquency. And they found that right now in the U.S. there's about 22 million uh, mortgage-ready millennials in the top 31 MSAs who are qualified to have a mortgage. And um, there are multiple reasons why millennials are delaying homeownership rate. But then I think first we have to find out where they are and also how to reach out to them. And one of the barriers uh, that millennials uh, we think have is um, lack of information. We found that over 50% of young renters say bound payment is the greatest barrier to achieve homeownership. And we also found that about 40% of young renters think that they need 
20% of buy, down payment to buy a home, which is not actually the true fact. So the median down payment right now is between 5 to 7%. So there's a huge discrepancy and there's a huge information asymmetry. So we have to find a way. And I know that Freddie Mac is working on this to kind of close the information gap between what millennials and also other population know about obtaining homeownership rate and what is actual fact. I think that goes to what we were talking about before, where people potentially are qualified for a mortgage mm -hmm. and they don't need that 20% mm -hmm. in this example, mm -hmm. um, but they think that they do. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's a holdup. As you look forward, um, are there other issues that, uh, that you think could change and be helpful? Mm -hmm. So I think this has also been talked a lot about how fintech can play a role. And um, now a lot of people are talking about how the credit evaluation could improve by incorporating data like rent or utility payment. Especially rent is kind of like a mortgage. You pay for the housing and you pay pretty much similar payment every month, but then paying rent on time doesn't really do anything for your credit score. So um, we are discussing ways about how to incorporate that information into the credit evaluation process. And I think with this big data and like evolution of fintech, there could be more innovative ways to better evaluate the credit of young adults. Another big point that we touched on earlier in the, in the podcast uh, was the supply question, mm -hmm. particularly uh, you mentioned it in some of these high-cost markets mm -hmm. where there are a lot of jobs. Uh, are you seeing any movement on the supply side uh, that, that might help? I think this is an area that has kind of like gained a lot of attention over the past couple of months. Um, this is kind of like a complicated area because like it involves land use and zoning regulation and it's like different across every city in the U.S. And like probably each city needs a different approach to um, if land use and um, zoning regulation is the major barrier for accessing homeownership because it sort of limits the housing supply, then it's complicated because each location has to kind of come up with their own strategy to tackle this issue. And I know that there has been some success in Minneapolis and Oregon, for example, uh, which is which is very interesting and which really needs, we really need to kind of follow up with these two cities and track what will happen in the future. And uh, we do hope that a lot of more cities kind of like find their own innovative solution to kind of tackle the affordability issue. Certainly, there's uh, so much happening with these two great big generation cohorts mm -hmm. and changes in the in the housing market, and uh, and I think your research uh, has been really helpful in uh, in helping us learn about that. Uh, thank you, Jung, for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.